0: Would you stand for the reading of God's word?
1: Today's reading comes from Isaiah 64, 1 through 9. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, and the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood, and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No one has seen a God besides you, who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him, him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry, and we sinned. In our sins, we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our inequities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand, but not so terribly angry, O Lord. And remember, not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated.
0: Amen. If you have a Bible, grab it. You can open it up to the book of Isaiah chapter 64, which is what I'm going to teach this morning. And um, uh, I'm pretty excited about it. Before I do, I would uh, just like to say those of you that um, are interested in doing something daily between now and Christmas as a part of the Advent season, we're providing what we're It's called an Advent Reflection Guide. This was actually written by a close friend of mine who's a church planter in Boston. His name's Al Abdullah, and he's a fantastic human being and has done a wonderful job writing this. And so I asked him, I said, can I pass this on as a resource to my church? And he said, sure. So we've printed off 25 of them. They're in the back, so grab one for your family. And we'll also be sending it via email in our weekly newsletter this week. So if you're like, hey, paper, you know, it's too old school, I want to do it digitally, then, then you certainly can, can wait for that email that will get out uh, hopefully this afternoon, maybe tomorrow morning, okay? But grab one of those. It's a cool thing, it's a very simple way of spending kind of a daily reflection time reading scripture and praying so that our hearts are all being uh, stirred in this season that is very special in the life of the Christian. Um, so, the Christian Church has something called the liturgical calendar. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that idea of liturgical calendar. Yeah. So, uh, and throughout the year, there are some churches that follow this liturgical calendar, and it's 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 like a it's like a plan for scripture reading and teaching that's made available to all churches. And our church has is doesn't always follow the liturgical calendar, and um, but during Advent, we, we try to. Okay, So I want you to think about today in the passage of Isaiah chapter 64 that I'm going to be teaching. is actually a, a passage that's going to be read and taught in hundreds, thousands tens, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of churches all over the world today. So it's kind of cool. We, we're getting tethered in today in a very real way with what God is doing in the world uh, through his church, which is, which is pretty cool. And the reason I'm choosing to share this passage with you is that it helps us to understand what it means to anticipate the return of Jesus as King. So Christmas time is a time where we celebrate the birth of Jesus, but the reality is Jesus is no longer a baby. He, He came, was born, is a we, we see him in the scriptures as a humble servant. But we, we live in a period of time where when looking back at that, it actually stirs us to look forward to the time that Jesus will return as victorious king. And so our anticipation is uh, certainly for Christmas morning, the excitement that comes with Christmas morning and, and all that happens and the presents that are exchanged and the conversations that are had and the memories that are made. But really our anticipation is for... Uh, The return of King Jesus. And so this year, as I said in the outset, uh, this year we ask the question, this Advent, is this the year that Jesus will return? I enjoy going to the movies. Raise your hand if you like going to the movies. Um, So in our generation, for the most part, movie theater lobbies are quite plain. Like if I asked you to describe the lobby of the theater you most often go to, you may or may not be able to do it. There's nothing really outstanding about it. Typically, sometimes there's some neon lights or whatever, but nothing super crazy. The lobby is a place where you get a ticket, you exchange it, you know, you pass in a ticket to get in, you get your popcorn, candy, beverage, you wonder why you just spent $55 on those three things. And, uh, but it's different. It was different in the days of the Great Depression. Anybody lived during that time? Um, okay, so um, the lobbies in, of the movie theaters during the Great Depression were show palaces. So people would live, leave the difficulty of their day and the hardship they would experience. They'd, they'd walk into the lobbies of these movie theaters, uh, like the Los Angeles Theater, which was built in 1911, or the Paramount Theater in Seattle, uh, which was built in 1928. They'd walk into the lobbies of these movie theater, theaters, and they would be a feast for the eyes Because the architects designed them to offer a transition from the grind of daily life and build within them an anticipation for the movie that they were about to see. Their vaulted ceilings and museum-worthy art and lush tapestries, beautiful fixtures, uniformed ushers. All of these things gave the customer a sneak peek at what they would experience inside the theater itself. This Advent season is a lot like those classic theaters. God has called us to give a preliminary picture of what it will be like when Jesus returns. And what it will be like when we get into that time period when Jesus' return is is wonderful and amazing. And I'll actually end my talk uh, describing that out of Isaiah chapter 65. But we can get excited as we are now in the lobby of the Scripture and just saying, okay, what is it going to be like? And what it will do is compel us to live lives that are a daily act of worship to God. So here's the main idea, actually written it in the form of a blessing that I'll just speak over you. May the anticipation for the return of King Jesus intensify as we wait with lives that are a daily act of worship to God. Let me just say that again. May the anticipation for the return of King Jesus intensify as we wait with lives that are a daily act of worship to God. So in our passage, Isaiah chapter 64, I want to bring you there by giving you a little bit of background, a little bit of context, okay? So Isaiah chapter 64, the prophet Isaiah is what's called a major prophet, not that He was more important than the other prophets, but he wrote a larger amount than some of the other prophets. And he's writing to the Israelites at this point of the passage. He's writing to the Israelites um, after they've gotten in trouble and been exiled. But if we back up a bit, uh, Genesis chapter 12 tells us the story about how God selected a man by the name of Abram who eventually was called Abraham. And made a promise to him. He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And from your people will come a bless someone who's a blessing to all nations. And so this started what we call now the Israelites. And so there's this tribe of people that God initiated a relationship with. He made promises to them. They made promises to him. God kept all of his promises to them. They did not keep all of their promises to him. And God, uh, they suffered for it. They struggled. And and part of the exchange of in their relationship was was mediated by the law. God gave them the law, like obey these things, you'll be counted as righteous. If you disobey them, you'll get in trouble. You'll be counted as unrighteous. And so they did okay sometimes, and then other times, as I mentioned, they did not do okay, so they suffered for it. But it went on long enough that God eventually said, okay, enough is enough. And he allowed the neighboring nations to come in to push them out of a land that was a sign of their promise to them, a blessing from God. And they were what's called exiled, okay? And so when we pick up in Isaiah chapter 64, we're actually hearing the prophet Isaiah um, speak on behalf of the people to God with, uh, in hopes that God would return them and restore them and help them to this earlier place of blessing. Okay, so they anticipated a better day, which is our idea that we want to put forward this morning, this idea of anticipating a better day. They anticipated, believing that God could bring them out of these difficult days, just like he brought them out of the difficult days when they were slaves in Egypt some years before. So when we pick up in Isaiah chapter 64, and we, we actually pick up in the second part of a longer prayer, which God responds to in Isaiah chapter 65, which I will mention towards the end. But I want you to understand this Isaiah chapter 64 because it helps us understand what it means to be desperate, to anticipate something better. So here's the first idea, first idea in Isaiah chapter 64. When we are desperate, we anticipate something better. When we are desperate, we anticipate something better. So look at Isaiah chapter 64 verse 1. Here's what Isaiah says. Oh, that you would. And then he goes to say, rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil. In other words, oh, that you would make your name known. So the prophet Isaiah is praying to God and saying, God, we are in desperate need of you to work. Speaking on behalf of Israel, we need your help. We need something better because what we're experiencing right now, we know is not the way it was meant to be. Have you ever had that feeling? I mean, there are certainly things about your lives that are good and wonderful and we can celebrate and you can be happy about and all that kind of stuff. But every once in a while, you're just like face-to-face with the reality that there's this, this, some things in our world that this is not the way it was meant to be. I mean, when I read what's happening, oh, I won't report the news. Let me just, you get my point. When we are desperate, we anticipate something better. And sometimes the difficulties that we experience are a result of our own choices, and certainly they're sometimes a result of the choices of other people. Um, But let's just focus here a bit on the idea that, uh, the sense of desperation that comes out of us suffering from our own poor choices. So when I was a kid, I got whipped a lot. Does that surprise anybody? When I was a kid, I got whipped a lot, and I grew up during a time like some of you were like, you, you know the teachers could spank the kids. And uh, I was quite popular with the teachers because uh, I remember vividly on more than one occasion uh, I was going to get a whipping and uh, the teachers would like come out in the hall for it. <laughs> and then, you know, they'd be like, they're drinking their coffee, like, oh, Cravens, what do you do this time? You know, like, wow. And um, I always use that to encourage parents when they have children who are uh, troublemakers. But anyway, so I, get, I got whipped a lot. I remember one time in the fifth grade, Uh, I I was in Boone Elementary in San Antonio, Texas. We had just moved there. I I grew up in Oklahoma, then right in the middle of my fifth grade year, we moved to San Antonio. We actually only lived there 12 months. In the middle of my sixth grade year, we moved back. And so I was like the new kid at Boone Elementary. And uh, I was trying to make friends. We were in gym class. There was a group of boys who got in trouble. I was with that group of boys. I don't remember what we were doing, just typical fifth-grade stuff, you know. And the gym teacher came over and got on to us, and I saw an opportunity. So when the gym teacher left, I knew that this group of boys, along with me, didn't really like this gym teacher in this moment. So when he left, I flipped the middle finger to the gym teacher. And uh, I thought I was going to be cool, right? I thought that, oh, man, this is going to man, these guys are going to think I'm so awesome. I'm so brave. I can flip this guy off. and like, oh, I'm so cool. Fifth grade. You know, when you're in the fifth grade and you start using, like, curse words to do that kind of stuff, you feel really good about yourself. You know, that feeling. But what I didn't realize is that these kids were going to turn on me. So they went and told the teacher, my buddies, my homies, my crew, they went and told the teacher that I flipped them off. And, of course, I got in trouble. So here I am sitting. In the principal's office, outside the principal's office at of Boone Elementary, in the fifth grade, I've been in the school for like two weeks, and I was the new kid. I was trying to make friends, and now what I've done is I've i basically found out who aren't my friends because they turned on me, and and I've made myself known as a troublemaker. I'm not only the kid that gets in trouble in school, but I'm the kid that is so dumb that I would flip the middle finger to the, to the gym teacher, who apparently was the most popular teacher. I didn't know I was only there for two weeks. So there I am sitting outside the principal's office. I'm about to get a whipping. I know I'm going to get a whipping. And then I would have to go and face my parents. And in that moment, there was something that happened in my heart. Desperation. I remember it like it was yesterday. For some reason, it wasn't the only time I got in trouble in school. But I remember it like it was yesterday because there I was on that wooden bench. And I felt a sense of desperation. And I knew I needed God to intervene. And I was fortunate to grow up kind of close to the church, in and out of the church a little bit. And I, I did believe there was a God. I didn't quite fully understand it. But I knew that I needed God to intervene. And I can remember sitting on that wooden bench and praying to God. God, I messed up my situation does not look good. You know, when you're in the fifth grade, you're like a kid and you get in trouble like this. It really does feel like, I mean, this might as well be a life imprisonment. I mean, you're, you know, your perspective is all off. And I look back and like, oh, no, what a big deal. I should have just taken the whip and gone back to class. But I'm sitting there like, Lord, like I might even have gotten down on my knees. Like, Lord, please, if you're real, would you come into Boone Elementary in the principal's office I might, I mean, just do something here. Do a miracle, God. Save me from utter destruction, right? I was desperate, so I anticipated something better. And I knew the only way it was going to be worked out is if God Almighty showed up in San Antonio, in that school, in that principal's office. And you know what? I think right there is when I committed, I think when I called, committed to being a pastor, I probably said something like, God, I will serve you for the rest of my life, you know? And at that age, no one would have ever even thought I'd work in a church or even maybe even attend one when I was an adult. And something happened. God intervened. I don't know why. I went into the principal's office, and the principal was gracious to me, knew I was the new kid, and I fortunately had brought into the school some decent grades. And so he's like, okay, this isn't quite lining up. You're not the bad kid that makes bad grades. And then my parents spared judgment. I was like, Lord, you are real. <laughs> you did work. And here's the thing. Our desperation can suffocate us or it can clarify for us where to put our eyes for something better. Our desperation can suffocate us, or it can clarify for us where to put our eyes for something better. Look at verse 4. What we begin to see is that Isaiah, Isaiah anticipates God's actions. He anticipates the better being God, because God is the best better. Isaiah anticipates God's actions because God is the best, better. I know that's funny sounding to you, but it's true. No, I have seen a God besides you, Isaiah says. And they've tried everything else. They've tried everything else. They've tried everything else plus God, which doesn't work either. They tried to do a little bit of worship of God, like wearing the religious clothes, doing the religious things but then on the side and privately done irreligious things and ungodly things and thought, I can kind of work this out and kind of eat my way by. But what God is saying is like, no, you can't do that. And we need God to work. He is the best better. They were miserable. They were suffering. And Isaiah is speaking on their behalf and saying, we need something better than this. You've given us everything we want. You ever do that? You ever like, okay, start dabbling in sin, living in sin, thinking it's going to meet a need in you, and you get into the middle of it and go, this isn't actually all that satisfying. This actually causes more trouble and more problems for me than I, than I had hoped. And in the midst of that, it's just like where these Israelites were. They're saying, okay, God, we need you to make yourself known. No eye no, has seen a God besides you. But you know, experiencing the best better that God provides requires us to be honest about what's really going on in our lives. This is the hard part. Isaiah speaks on behalf of the people. He says these words, We sinned, and in our sins we have been a long time. Shall we be saved? He says things like our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. I love how raw this is. and This is God's chosen people. They've seen God face-to-face in a way that no other type of people has. And they've sinned and they've just said, "We, we need you to make yourself known. And we admit we've sinned. Our iniquities have put us in the position that we're in right now. You know, there's two reasons why you might not be honest with God about who you really are. First of all, you don't realize how much God loves you and the fact that he already knows. And in within that, he still pursues you and loves you and cares for you and is merciful to you. The second reason that we might not want to be honest about, honest with God about who we really are and our iniquities is because... We underestimate the penalty for our sin. We take it too lightly. This is, I think, a problem in our day. We underestimate how seriously God takes sin. It's more than just a poor choice. It's more than just something that that, uh, we do that makes life more difficult. Our sin is, before God, a detestable thing. And apart from Christ, when you stand before God, you will give an account for your life. And if God, if Jesus as judge looks at your life and sees your sin, you'll be judged as unrighteous and you will suffer for it in a place called hell. I know what you're thinking. Like, oh, Merry Christmas to you, Russell. <laughs> Thanks a lot for the good news. I'm just trying to be honest. You see, but those that have repented of their sin and placed their faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that the blood of Christ erases sin so that when we stand before Jesus, we don't stand as sinners separated from God because of our sin, deserving the eternal consequences for our sin. We actually stand before Jesus as righteous children of God. And so one reason we anticipate the return of King Jesus for those that are in Christ is because we know we get to stand before him and hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because our lives have been perfect or great or we've made every right decision and avoided every wrong decision, but it's because Jesus has done something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. This is the good news of the Bible. When our anticipation for the better locates itself in the presence of God, he begins to work in our lives. So these Israelites, um, they're saying, kind of Isaiah speaking on their behalf to God, "God, um, we know that we need you. We need you. We anticipate a better day, for you to work, for you to intervene. We admit, God, that we've messed up and that we're not perfect and that we need your presence. And we want to locate our trust and hope in you, O God. And when that happens for them, what they acknowledge in verse 8 is that God as Father works as the potter and we put ourselves in the position of the clay. I love this imagery in the Bible. One time in my life have I ever... Try to make pottery on a potter 's wheel, uh, have you ever done that? Raise your hand if you 've ever done it. okay, I am surprised that so many of you have maybe we'll start a class or something i don 't know. Um, I remember being on that potter 's wheel, and the person who was instructed me gave me this like blob of of clay, and it sat there and and something had to happen to that. And so I started pedaling. It was one you had to kind of pedal, and it would spin, spin the table. And, and she was explaining how you, you, know, you put a little bit of pressure, not too much pressure. You put a little bit of pressure. You, you, you are gentle, and you're patient, and you take time. And over time, it will turn into something that will look like a, a plate. I love this imagery before the Lord because I think what we're doing here, for those of you that have already crossed over the line of faith, as we anticipate the return of King Jesus, we're in this period of time where we're saying, okay, I am the clay, you are the potter. Would you patiently um, work on me and shape me and mold me? And if need be, you know, peel off parts that do not belong or add a little bit where I need more and we trust that God is doing something as the potter we are the clay we are all the work of his hand and and that's the kind of mode that we're in until the day when Jesus returns and all of these things will be presented before King Jesus and he'll say beautiful so these Israelites are are wanting with, with great, they're waiting with great anticipation. They're locating their, their hope in the presence of God to do something that they cannot do for themselves. And God actually responds. In, in chapter 65, just really briefly, let me summarize. God responds, and he basically says this, I've given you many opportunities to spare yourself from these difficulties, but you did not listen. I spread out my hands all day to the rebellious people, he says in chapter 65, verse 22. Uh, they did not listen. And he's telling them, like, you've, you've told me all this stuff, but you did not listen. But some did. And for those people that we call the remnant, they, will, they can live with anticipation for the work of God. And it's met with the blessing of God if they obey God. And so this, this idea of a group of people in trouble anticipating the work of God in a unique way is actually a rhythm throughout the Scripture. And it sets the stage for about 700 years later when a group of God's people are anticipating the arrival of God in the flesh in the form of a man we know by the name of Jesus. And so they're anticipating the arrival of God to do something in their world, do something to, to help them with the difficulty of life and help them with their connection with, with the Father. And and God became flesh in the form of a man. We we name him he's named Jesus. And we celebrate his birth at Christmas, which of course you know, most of you. And, and and his life and death and resurrection make it possible for all people who believe in him and choose to follow him for them to be counted as righteous. And the thing that is important in this moment for you to think about is that. God has repeatedly said to all of us, here I am, worship me. And for many of us, we have tried to go our own way. And, and that's called sin. But the death of Jesus makes it possible for our sin to be forgiven. And it's good news. Fast forward 2,000 years to today. So we've gone from 700 years before the time of Christ to Isaiah's prophecy to the time of Christ, very briefly, the birth of Jesus. And here we are 2,000 years to today. We can live with anticipation that Jesus will return. A while ago when I said, do you ever, ever have that feeling of when there, you just, I mean, it you're, I mean, there's certainly things that we can be positive about and optimistic about in our life, you know. But, but you have that feeling like just something isn't right When I I said that earlier in, in the talk, most of you are like, yeah, yeah. Well, one thing that that does in us is it creates an even stronger anticipation for the time that Jesus will return and restore all that's been broken by sin. So just Friday, I met with uh, a member of our church. His name's Ken, great guy. And we've talked for an hour inside about just what the Lord's doing. And I'm encouraging him. He's encouraging me. And we talked a little bit about the scriptures. And and it was just an awesome time. We go outside in this beautiful moment. We go outside and a homeless man walks up to me. And, you know, it's not uncommon, right? You live in the city. I live near here. It happens all the time. And he comes up to me and he asks me for money. So what I've learned is that I always listen to them. I I don't want to you know, already lost so much dignity in their homelessness that I want to kind of help restore a little dignity by giving them the opportunity to ask me what they want. But I nearly always say, uh, I can't help you today, sir. And I thought, you know, that's pretty good, right? I've used that a few times. and Usually it works. And they're like, okay, cool. You know, they move on down the road, but this guy wasn't having it. He was like, well, I don't need a dollar tomorrow. (laughs) I was like, good point, man, good point. You know, pounded it out right there. Uh, and uh, and I said, well, not today, sir. You know, I, I'm sorry, but not today. And he got belligerent. So Ken is standing there, and he shifts from his attention on me to then Ken. Well, Ken is, you know... Uh, kind of like, okay, it's about to go down. You know, I see Ken, he's like, you know, gonna square up, you know, and not really. If he were here, he's not here to defend himself. But anyway, um, oh, I, then I can say, tell you anything, actually. What Ken did was he pulled out his switchblade, his butterfly knife, and he was like, wow. Ah. No, that's good. And so anyway, so, and, and so Ken's like, no, I don't think so. And, I'm, and this guy walking, and he is, starts getting belligerent, and he starts using words, that you know. So start, I started blushing. I mean, he started using curse words, and it was really embarrassing. And uh, not Ken, the homeless guy, and, um, and, and he walks off, and he's obviously intoxicated. He's got a problem. And there's just a moment where I'm like, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way it's supposed to be. There's something broken. And, and those moments, actually, when I walk away, I just go, oh, I can't wait till Jesus returns. I mean, I mean until then, I'm going to try to stay in a position of of clay and potter and you do on me God what you want to do and you shape me and mold me and we're going to encourage each other in that way we're going to be faithful we're going to tell people about Jesus returning but man I cannot wait and here's my hope is I hope is that this is the year Jesus will return before somebody tries to kiss my daughter (laughs) I mean real talk hashtag real talk Is this the year that Jesus will return? There's an anticipation that can happen. Here's my blessing. May the anticipation for the return of King Jesus intensify as we wait with lives that are daily act of worship to God. And you say, okay, what's going to be like whenever Jesus returns? Here's what I believe is that our anticipation will intensify if we know a little bit about what it's going to be like. Isaiah chapter 65. Let me tell you the verses. I'm going to go through these quickly. This is what it's going to be like when Jesus returns. All right? Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17, I create new heavens and a new earth. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 19, I will rejoice and my people will rejoice. No more weeping and cries of distress. Won't that be nice? Isaiah chapter 65, verse 20, no more untimely death of loved ones. Oh, that'll be so great. Isaiah chapter sixty-five verses twenty-one and twenty-two, talking about that time of what will happen after Jesus returns as victorious King. You will benefit proportionally from your work. You work, you'll get paid. It'll be fair. You'll be enjoy the work of your hands. Isaiah chapter sixty-five verse twenty-three: Children will be all joy, and they will not be difficult. Can I get an amen up in this place? I'm like, some of you are like, I'm going to become a Christian right now. That's all it takes. I don't even know what this next verse means, but it just sounds so dang awesome. I'm going to say it, and then I hope I get a hoot and a holler. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 25, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox. I don't even know what that means, but it just sounds awesome. That's what it's going to be like, and that's why we worship and anticipate the return of King Jesus. I know that Christmas is a time where we say, hey, there's a little baby, it's so cute, but that little baby grew up and is a victorious king. That's what we're doing here. That's why we worship. That's why we anticipate. And we are going to respond to that. So here's how we're going to respond. We're going to respond in a few ways in just a moment. We're going to respond in some singing. We're going to respond. I'm going to invite you to repent. Some of you need to repent of sin and just get right with God. Don't waste another day trying to hide your sin from God. Stop it. It's not worth it. Get yourself up on that potter's wheel and say, okay, God, I'm just going to be awesome. You push out the, 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 the impurities. You push out the, the, the bad things. You shape off the bad things. You heat it up a little bit if you need to. Whatever you need to do, God. So I'm going to invite you to sing. I'm going to invite you to pray. I hope you'll take this time to pray. I'm going to invite you to repent. The scripture says in Romans chapter 13, verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Some of you have got to be tired of living in ongoing unrepentant sin. It is making you miserable. Repent of it and let's move forward. And then we're going to do the Lord's Supper. But we're going to do the Lord's Supper a little bit different today. So this is going to be a whole package of ways that you can respond. Singing, prayer, repentance in prayer, and then the Lord's Supper. Here's how we're going to do the Lord's Supper. We're going to pass out the elements, so you're actually going to remain seated. And um, Lord's Supper is so important to us and every Christian church because it was important to Jesus and the early Christian church. It's a tangible form for us. To acknowledge that the body of Christ, which is represented by the bread, and the blood of Christ, represented by the Jews, were broken so that we can have our sins forgiven and be given new life. So in just a moment, there are going to be people that are going to come up and they're going to distribute the elements. And so when it gets passed to you, pass it to the person next to you, take that juice cup and that piece of bread and you can take it right there if you want or you can spend some time praying alone or what I would really encourage you to do is just for those if you're comfortable circle with those people that are right around you and just spend some time thanking the Lord for the first coming of Jesus and his life death resurrection but also may we use this as a time to anticipate the return of Jesus so as Sammy and the band comes up here Let's prepare our hearts for this time of response. So we've set the music at the end, and so we get to respond to the wonderful good news that's been spoken. And I hope and pray that our anticipation for the return of King Jesus will intensify as we live daily lives that are acts of worship to God. So would you bow your head and and just prepare for this time of response?